That music means your next hour is going to be about connection. Welcome to This Show Is All About You, a show dedicated to discussing and experiencing the things we all have in common. When you and me become we and explore what it means for all of us. Here's your host, historian, writer, social commentator, and a whole lot of other things, J.D.K. Winnekin. Hello again, everyone. Welcome to another episode of This Show Is All About You, radio show and podcast dedicated to digging into the things that maybe we normally talk about, but just going a little bit deeper and maybe exploring from some different angles. So thank you for taking the next hour to spend with me. I'm really looking forward to it. And uh, if you want to find out more about me, you can check out my website at wordsbyjdk.com. You can see a lot of original content there, updates on my book project, number of other things, episodes of this show also. Uh, you can also find me on social media at uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Just look up my last name, W-Y-N-E-K-E-N, and I would love to hear from you. Uh, get your feedback on the show, get some ideas for future shows, just hear how you're doing, you know, connect, all that good stuff. Special thanks at the top of the show here to the longtime sponsor of this show is all about you. That would be Eric airway science for kids (laughs) pardon me so i caught my breath there for a moment airway science for kids is a uh, portland-based nonprofit that provides life and career pathway opportunities for underserved youth through the exploration of aerospace careers and they do it in a very holistic way that empowers the kids that they work with to better advocate for themselves to better connect within their families and communities and to be a uh, a positive force uh, in the future and today in the larger world. So if you want to find out more about them, check them out at their website, airsci.org, and you'll hear more about them during the break. Happy to have you back for another episode where I am in the Pacific Northwest. It is sunny, which is rare in January. It is cold, which is not rare in January. But you know what? I will take the sun over the rain any day of the week. The mountains are out, and days like today make um, sometimes a handful of days of gray uh, bearable. And, you know, so, and this is actually going to fit in with what we're going to talk about today uh, on the show. Today's show is about remembrance from several directions, three as a matter of fact. Uh, but we always start off the show by taking a look at the important parts of the last week's news in a segment that I call What in the World is Going On? Let's take a look. The U.S. president's statement came just hours after Germany announced it would deliver 14 of its Leopard 2 battle tanks to Ukraine. This is the result of renewed and intense consultations with our allies and international partners. I would like to underline that it was right, and it is right, that we didn't let ourselves be forced into action, and that we instead counted and will continue to count on close cooperation on these issues. Though there's no way to know the uh, what the history books will say at this point about the decision by Germany in uh, in cooperation with the United States and Britain and its NATO allies to supply tanks to Ukraine for this upcoming spring, uh, I think it is safe to say at this point that it is a significant development in the war that is now moving towards the one year mark uh, early next month or late next month. Uh, 
And it was something that I think was quite uh, remarkable that uh, not only the Germany is releasing a number, a number of its Leopard 2 tanks for use by the Ukrainian military, but that Germany refused to bow to the pressure to do so alone and really worked hard with the United States in particular, but also other NATO allies, to make sure that this was a comprehensive effort to supply larger amounts of tanks, not just German tanks, to the Ukrainians. The reason why it's significant is, first of all, it's easy to forget, particularly here in the United States, it can be easy to forget the importance that the Europeans have in what is happening over there. The fact that the Europeans have stayed largely united around resisting the Russian invasion and helping Ukraine with a number of weapon systems, donating just as much as the United States has and larger percentages of their own arsenals than the United States has thus far, that fact is really important to remember and was not a given when this war started. And the fact that Germany has a very stark awareness of how big of a step this is for them. Remember, Germany uh, and Ukraine have a, it's, I don't even want to make a joke about it, a very, very uh, rough history together. It was Germany that invaded into the Ukraine when it was part of the Soviet Union uh, during the Second World War. And a lot of the crimes committed by uh, the German military, by the SS, by the Nazis, a lot, many of them happened in Ukraine. And so this is historically um, a very loaded place for Germany. Even though Ukraine is making these direct requests to Germany and other nations, Germany was very aware of its sense of self and its place in the history of the region as well as in the present. So I think it will be, uh, it will certainly be important uh, when the spring rolls around that these tanks will be uh, getting integrated into the Ukrainian military. The Leopard 2, the United States Abrams tank, the British Challenger 2 tanks are the three best tanks in the world. And they are more than a match for anything that the Russian military has. Uh, that said, uh, if people are worried about, you know, what's the next thing the Ukraine is going to need, uh, well, those requests will come. They're already coming, and that's going to be jet aircraft. And I have some thoughts about that, but I'm going to save that for, <laughs> for later episodes. Uh, meanwhile, while all that is going on, things in China continue to be uh, really difficult, maybe even more so than any of us really realize. The coffin makers in northern Shanxi province have been busy. There's been great debate about the number of COVID deaths in China's cities. But there's still no official death toll for rural areas. Yet what you see if you visit local crematoriums is that a lot of people have died. In fact, all those we meet who are working in the funeral industry speak about an explosion in demand. Things in China are complicated on a number of different fronts, and they've been increasingly in the news of late. Certainly what is going on with COVID in the country is very, very difficult to gauge. The Chinese government, as usual, very tight-lipped about what's happening, and this situation may be so far out of their control that even they don't know how many people are dying uh, to COVID in the country. Uh, Chinese vaccines, which um, have been proven by uh, experts around the world to not be as effective against the virus as uh, Western-made ones are not stemming the tide. And it certainly seems like in cities as well as in rural areas, more people are dying than even even the officials who may be trying to keep track of them are actually able to do. What does this mean for China in the long run? Who knows? But certainly we're all of us familiar, wherever we happen to be listening, with the um, convolutions that uh, emerged in our own societies because of COVID and the ripples that have run through our economy, the effects that it has had on every part of daily life. 
There's no reason to think that they would not be similar in that regard in China. What this means for uh, China's uh, one-party system remains to be seen. It certainly has been challenged lately by its own people around COVID restrictions as well as around restrictions of freedom of speech. What effect it may have on their designs for Taiwan, no one really knows either. An American Air Force general last week uh, predicted and I'm not sure this was wise to make public, but predicted that the United States might very well be at war with China by 2025. Now, that might sound alarmist. Uh, Certainly, that's what military (laughs) officers are paid to do, is keep track of those types of things and be prepared for those types of things. No one knows whether this would situation like this would make China more likely to try to invade Taiwan or make it less likely. What we've seen examples in history of both. Sometimes countries lash out at their neighbors because they think they're coming from a position of strength, Other times they lash out because they're in a decided position of weakness and want to either cover that up or stem that, and they think attacking a neighbor uh, is the best policy. Neither option would be good for the United States uh, or for China or for Taiwan or any of China's neighbors in Asia. But it's worth keeping an eye on these things because each one of these things that happens in China has a direct effect on everything else because everything is so centrally run through its political system. So it's worth keeping an eye on that. Okay, and finally, last piece of news for today is going to take us right into today's subject. Uh, A lot of remembrance going on in the last week, um, and last week in particular, uh, one really stood out to me. This day of remembrance, we honor and try to better understand our place in this huge, huge universe and our attempts at discovery and exploration in it. These astronauts all achieved the once impossible dream to soar in the cosmos and to explore the heavens. Last week on January 26th, it was the annual Astronauts Remembrance Day uh, in the United States. And it's, it's a day which comes every year and uh, NASA commemorates every year. That was their chairman uh, speaking in that clip. And it honors the astronauts who have died in uh, service of the country and service of all humanity in exploring the cosmos. And it, it fits around a very uh, very sad and interesting set of coincidences. Uh, the, the three sets of astronauts um, in NASA history who have died, uh, the three Apollo 1 astronauts on uh, January 27, 1967, the seven Challenger uh, space shuttle astronauts who died on January 28, uh, 1986, and the seven Columbia astronauts who died on February 1st, 2003, all those dates, all those happened within a calendar week of of late January into early February. One of those strange coincidences that can happen sometimes in history. But last week was the day in which every year uh, NASA and the entire uh, aerospace community really pauses to remember those lives, those individual lives, uh, the sacrifices they made, um, the lessons that were learned, from those accidents, and there were major lessons learned from all of them, and uh, a recognition of the seriousness of this type of exploration in space. Uh, Space is literally the most unforgiving environment uh, anywhere, and exploring it takes a lot of preparation, a lot of risk-taking, a lot of calculation, and unfortunately, a lot of soul-searching when something goes wrong. Uh, But it's such a really powerful day every year. I was not around when the Apollo 1 fire happened on the launch pad uh, at Cape Canaveral. 
that killed those uh, the three astronauts then. But I definitely remember uh, the other two, the Challenger explosion. I was in seventh grade watching it on television live with a lot of other school children around the United States because uh, Krista McAuliffe, who was a school teacher herself, was on board the Challenger. She was the first teacher uh, to go up into space, and she was going to be doing lessons from up there. We were scheduled to take part in all of those in my class. And uh, so we saw all that happen in real time. And when you're a middle schooler and you see something like that happen, it stays with you. Uh, and then when the Columbia uh, burned up on reentry from space, it had gone on a mission to the International Space Station and was on its way back to Earth. When it burned up in the atmosphere, I was in Cincinnati, Ohio, uh, at a friend's house, and I woke up to that news uh, and to the footage, of course, on television of the pieces streaking across the sky in Texas and the southern part of the U.S. and everything that happened after that. And because I am an aerospace uh, fan, I guess you will, I, I guess you could say I love space stuff, aviation stuff, uh, it was uh, of, of deep interest to me what had actually happened, and not just in the sense of watching it on the news and learning about all the astronauts and their lives and all those things, but really finding out what had happened. So it was something that I followed the investigations. I read the final reports um, of those accidents when, even though I didn't necessarily understand every piece, I knew who to ask um, to better understand those pieces. <clears throat> and of course, as I've talked about on this show before, I'm following very closely with a lot of enthusiasm uh, the efforts to return to the moon and to move beyond there to explore uh, the larger solar system, including going to Mars, uh, sending landers to Titan, one of the moons of, of Jupiter, which is going to be happening soon. I pay close attention to all of that. Now, in addition to that, <laughs> last week was also also had uh, International Holocaust Remembrance Day, which was January 27th. January 27th every year is uh, the date for International Holocaust Remembrance Day because that is the day that the, uh, the notorious Auschwitz extermination camp in Poland was liberated by Soviet forces. And since then, that has had sort of a key, been seen as a key moment uh, in the history of the Holocaust as well as in the history of World War II. And so over time, that day became adopted as the day to remember uh, the victims of the Holocaust and everything uh, that came with it. So for me, with my background as a historian of Germany and that part of the world and that period of time, including the Holocaust, you combine those two things together, and that's a lot of remembrance in my areas of interest and training and, and frankly, my moral compass. When you add to that <laughs> my own personal uh, set of, of remembrances around this period in time, uh, it's a really, it can be a really powerful time of year. For me, because every year I do know that International Holocaust Remembrance Day is coming. And I also remember that Astronaut Remembrance Day is coming. And it usually leads me to reconnect in some way, shape or form if I've lost a little bit of connection with those subjects. So I might find myself, you know, taking a look back at some of my favorite books on both subjects and reading those or taking a look at new material that has come out this year for Holocaust remembrance. Um, I finally took the time to watch some of Ken Burns, uh, his latest uh, documentary on America and the Holocaust. I did that this month as a way to kind of get myself framed around the remembrance day that was coming up. And when it comes to astronaut remembrance, I'm oftentimes paying very close attention to what's going on uh, in the aerospace world. So it did, it wasn't too far of a, of a drift back this year to be paying attention to that. 
But certainly, um, the documentaries that come up uh, around all of those uh, accidents that cost those lives, um, I do tend to reflect on them because every time I do watch them, there's some new piece of information that I pick up on or I better remember going forward. And I then evaluate it against where we are now and how I feel about it and where, where efforts are to learn from those mistakes. So it's a way for me to not only just be honoring what had happened in the past, but also be, to be taking markers in the present to see what's being learned and how these are being applied. And to what degree, on one hand, we're learning the lessons of the past that we need to learn. And then also, just as importantly, but perhaps even more, even more difficult to really ascertain, the degree to which we are enslaved to the past, because that is not really what the past, remembering the past should be about. So what I'd like to talk about today is a, a couple of those stories there, and I'm going to weave in my own remembrance that I just teased you with in my own life. And that's going to be the story that we talk about today. It's going to be about remembrance, why we do it, and how best to maybe integrate it with our lives on a daily basis. So when we come back on This Show is All About You, we'll kick off right there. So stick around. I'm Julia Cannell, Executive Director of Airway Science for Kids. We sponsor this show is all about you because it exemplifies our core values, connectivity, communication, emotional intelligence, positivity, respect, and the power of possibility. Help us introduce historically excluded youth to all of these through the wonder and promise of aviation and aerospace careers. Airway Science for Kids, providing aerospace to all. Visit airsci.org to learn more and to contribute your talents. Don't ask me to talk. Don't ask me to talk is a program about sharing something good. Hosted by me, Stacy Heller, with my co-host and my mom's favorite, Eric Ryder. Don't ask me to talk echoes what we're talking about when we aren't being so serious. We'll highlight what's good to watch, read, see, listen to, and more with a reoccurring spot with Vance Dingfelder of Dingfelder's Delicatessen called What Are We Eating? Tune in Thursdays from 3 to 4 on AM 880 KIXI. Welcome back, everyone, to this show is all about you. We are talking about remembrance today. Uh, last week had the Remembrance Days for both International Holocaust Remembrance and Astronaut Remembrance. And uh, those are two things that are um, both things I pay very close attention to. Uh, one from my historical training uh, as, uh, as a historian, the Holocaust, and the other my own area of interest, uh, aerospace. It's something that I've loved since I was a kid. So as you can imagine... Last week or so holds a, holds a lot of power, holds a lot of weight every year. It's something I pay attention to because both are very, very important uh, things to remember for the history of humanity as well as for the future of humanity. And, and yet, you know, I'm always fascinated as a human being as well as a historian of the dividing lines between learning from the past um, and being shackled by it. There is such a thing. In both cases. And at the top of the show, I talked a little bit about, uh, about Germany and their decision to send uh, battle tanks into Ukraine to fight against the Russians and why this was, for them, not just a question of do we send tanks or not. It was loaded with the very thing I'm talking about, an acknowledgement of Germany's very, very deep connections to the ugly 
past of the Second World War in Ukraine and with Russia. The weight on that on one hand, and also a recognition on some level that this is the now. And the decisions of what to do now cannot be fully disconnected, yes, from the lessons of the past, but cannot be fully shackled to them either. And and certainly, I think if you were to sit down with German lawmakers as well as everyday Germans, you would get as many differing opinions on whether this was the right decision or not as you might get in the United States or elsewhere. But in Germany, there is a, a more acute awareness in this context of why this is such a big step. Uh, and this is where I think Holocaust remembrance and these types of subjects, I think, hold a lot of power and are worth thinking about. Uh, certainly, Germany's uh, role in the Second World War is uh, remembered and studied and talked about uh, this many years later, almost eight decades later, because of how overpoweringly powerful and destructive it really was, not just in Europe, but more broadly. It was not only a uh, Nazi-led attempt to annihilate all the so-called inferior races uh, of Eastern Europe for the benefit of the so-called German Aryan race, but in the process, it shook confidence in the Western world in particular to its core in the nature of humanity and what it meant to be Westerners. And you could make the argument that around those sort of those big moral questions, the world still really hasn't recovered. There is a, a deep cynicism still in many quarters about the nature of humanity, about the nature of governments. Uh, certainly we live in a time of deep, deep distrust seemingly in all directions of governments and parties of all backgrounds. And that isn't just true in the United States. It's true in Germany. It's true in a number of countries around the world. And that certainly is cause for concern. And yet what happened with Germany and the Leopard 2 tank question, I think is really instructive in the sense that, first of all, it seems to me there can be no perfect way to say this is the dividing line between honoring the past and not being shackled by it. I don't think there will be universal agreement between any two people, never mind millions of people, on whether or not that boundary was was adequately defined and stood upon. I don't think anybody can do that, whether it's Germany, the United States, whatever it might be. That said, it nevertheless remains really important to remember the past and then also and be informed by it in the present. And then to make decisions accordingly in the present that take into account a number of these different factors. And then hopefully what that does is it leads to a better future than perhaps has seen in the past. And who knows whether that happens in Ukraine. My point here isn't whether to get into whether Germany was right or wrong in doing so. I think it was the right decision personally for them to send those tanks. I also understand why some people were critical of the German government for slowing down the process um, of sending these tanks and making that decision despite Ukraine's pleading for them, pleading for them and their genuine need. I do think it makes sense why Germany took their time. And because this isn't in from the point of view of the Germans, as well as the point of view of the United States, NATO and the rest of the world, this isn't just about Ukraine versus Russia. That is the primary focal point and that has to be addressed. But there are larger questions, that question of European unity, European unity with the United States and their policies and the larger world, because around that unity, 
rests a lot of those pieces in this war, India and China staying off to the side, Russia continuing to be isolated. All of that depends upon that unity and upon the ability of those countries to agree with one another and make these decisions accordingly. So in the end, Germany securing the agreement of the United States to send the M1 Abrams tank and the British to send their Challenger 2 tanks along with the Leopard 2s, I think for me personally is the right message and is the right decision militarily, politically, um, and I guess you could say ethically uh, for it to be done this way. And so in that sense, I get where the Germans are coming from. Now, when it comes to Holocaust remembrance, I'll be the first to tell you, uh, Holocaust remembrance throughout Europe and throughout the rest of the world um, doesn't mean one thing, and it certainly isn't complete. Um, It's not something... Uh, that in Germany everybody fully agrees on, or in the rest of Europe, or in the United States. Uh, It is certainly complicated by not just historical debates, but also uh, contemporary sensibilities and sentiments and beliefs and prejudices um, in all the areas that I just mentioned. And that can be really disheartening. Uh, For me, as a scholar of that era where I've studied it, I've, I've read the primary source material, I've read some of the ugliest um, diary accounts and documents talking about what uh, what the German military, the SS and Nazis did in Eastern Europe. Somebody who's read that, somebody who has interviewed largely unrepentant Nazis many, many years after the fact, uh, I know for firsthand that um, historical accounting with the Holocaust in Germany and elsewhere is not a complete thing. And maybe that's something that can can never happen. There hasn't been a massive, comprehensive, complete, universal uh, repentance, if you will, a reevaluation of the Holocaust in Germany or anywhere else. That said, the Holocaust, there have been more attempts to make sure that that builds over time and to continue to push for that goal than practically around any other historical event in history. And I think that's incredibly powerful and incredibly important because at this point in our existence, the Holocaust really should be as bad as we would ever allow something to ever be again, which is why the mantra that you see at the U S Holocaust Memorial museum in Washington, DC and among Holocaust um, advocacy and remembrance organizations around the world is always never again, not just because of the sheer magnitude of the millions killed and the millions more whose lives were destroyed because of the Holocaust, but because really the, the line is very thin. That's about as far as humanity can go without spiraling off into the abyss. And I think it's worth acknowledging that fact. And so all of the efforts to educate, not just around the Holocaust, but to learn the lessons and apply them in everyday scenarios and everyday uh, life around things like combating anti-Semitism and all other forms of prejudice as something that we learn from the Holocaust Makes sense. Not every one of those prejudicial issues ties back to the Holocaust, but many do. And in the end, if we're talking about any form of discrimination and prejudice following out to its logical conclusion, if no one challenges them at the more and more extreme they get, then the Holocaust is the end of the road or something, God forbid, worse in the future. And so for me, when I hear about all of these efforts to remember the Holocaust, um, I embrace them every year. And I don't think we can talk 
enough about it. Not because we need to continue to tar and feather the German people with all of that necessarily, or castigate anybody else um, in perpetuity. Uh, certainly, you know, successors to people generations later. At the same time, that remembrance still needs to happen. That's, that still needs to be held. The same way that in the United States, we should still be looking back and remembering the cruelties and the crimes and the challenges of slavery in the United States, even though all of us living today were not directly involved in that process, we are directly connected to it. It is part of our own national story. It's part of the larger human story. The Holocaust carries that kind of weight as well. And so the idea of remembering that cannot just be to look back on the past with horror and to say, look at what human beings can do. It seems to me the imperative of that needs to be, how do we then view, live within, and act within today's society, our own context, based on what we know? And there is no clear answer to that, which is why discussion continually needs to happen about this. Discussion, exploration, debate, sometimes conflict, if necessary. All of those things are in the present. And so we cannot say, well, because, you know, we did this, this in the past, we can't have opinions now or we can't take actions now, I think is a mistake. It doesn't mean that the answers of what we should do in a given moment are easy. But then again, when were any big, important questions that really changed things in the present for the future ever really easy to begin with? In that same vein, Taking a look at Astronaut Remembrance Day, there's, there's a similar thing there. It could have been very easy, particularly after the Apollo 1 fire on the launch pad uh, at Cape Canaveral 1967, for the entire mission to the moon to be scrapped, the entire Apollo program. That happened in January of 1967. If you do the math, almost exactly two and a half years later, Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin landed on the moon uh, with Apollo 11. Two and a half years, that's not a big turnaround. Um, and it required a whole series of not just reevaluations of the technology of what had gone wrong in the fire and making those changes to subsequent uh, rockets and uh, spacecraft, but also questioning the entire approach, the entire mentality, the entire purpose of being, if you will, of the Apollo program. And the decision was made. Now, we can be cynical about it and say, well, we wanted to beat the Russians to the moon, and that was the most important thing politically, and there's some merit to that. But certainly, from, if you talk to or read about what a lot of people who were involved in the Apollo program said at the time, after the Apollo 1 accident, there was even more imperative among those in the program to make it successful so that those three astronauts did not die for nothing. Now, certainly, if you, you know, them not dying for nothing sometimes, I think, is very cold comfort, certainly to the families of those people lost. So I don't say that really in a trite way. What I mean is, for those who wanted to continue as these, those men believe strongly enough in the mission to go to the moon with all of its different ingredients that they wanted to continue to honor with them. The same thing happened after the Challenger and Columbia accidents in 86 and 2003. Not only was there an investigation into what happened, but then a whole large-scale reevaluation of the entire, in those cases, the shuttle program. In 2003, the end of the shuttle program was already in sight. And so that was something that then they talked about, well, maybe we just need to be done with this altogether. 
Ultimately, though, the decision after both accidents was to send shuttles back into space to not only continue the program and honor those astronauts by continuing to take the same uh, calculated risks that those astronauts did who passed away, but also to make sure that things like loss and fear of something happening again didn't freeze people in place in the present and thus limit the future. Now, those decisions to send the shuttles back up were controversial in some quarters. Uh, There were some after both accidents who said, this is simply too dangerous for us to continue. We should not do this anymore. Again, much as I would say with Holocaust education and awareness, I think the right decision was made to send uh, the shuttles back into service. Of course, it's easy for me to say I didn't lose anybody, right, in either one of those accidents. So I don't, again, I don't say that tritely. What I do think, though, is that there is something about that in that the lessons of the past, they changed, they made all the changes in all three examples with those spacecraft. They made the changes to make those types of accidents impossible to happen again, or at least very, very unlikely to happen again. And there's something frustrating about that on some level. You know, why couldn't you see it beforehand? And part of the nature of the aerospace industry is there literally are a million things to think about in and to check on and to build and to follow up on. And unfortunately, sometimes chains of mistakes, oversights, problems can link together in a way that causes an accident. Unfortunately, uh, they're rare. But nevertheless, there is no margin for error. Like I said, with the Holocaust, our margin for error is very thin for anything that could be worse than that. The same can be said when we're talking about flying to space and exploring it. There is no margin for error uh, because any kind of error like we're talking about will be most likely catastrophic uh, in that environment. And that's why it takes years and years of testing <laughs> in, with computer models and then with un, um, uncrewed spacecraft. Uh, the Artemis One mission that just went to the moon uh, not too long ago was uncrewed for a reason. They sent everything out to make sure everything would work. They sent, they sent it on a, on a mock mission all the way to the moon, ran it through every single type of problem cycle and scenario they could think of to see how it would perform, and then followed it all the way back to splashdown off the coast of San Diego. And the very fact that everything went swimmingly well was a massive accomplishment because of how many moving parts, how many people are involved in this, how many minute-by-minute decisions are involved in making something like this a safe process. Now, you want to extend that out to putting people on the moon long-term, sending people on a months-long journey to Mars and back, if they ever do come back. You can see why these things take a long time to actually happen. And yet, to get lost or to to not remember the past would be to not keep the seriousness of it and the importance of it and the... the, um, the vigor with which things need to be paid attention to in sight, but also they weren't shackled by it either, right? So to me, both examples tell us a lot about how the past can be remembered for its own sake, the importance of it in the moment, the context of the time, which is a historian's job, but then also It reflects well in how it can be applied and should be seen as instructive to now. Because in the end, our feet are only right where we are at any given moment. If we have one foot 
in the past, one foot in the future. We don't have one foot in the now. And to have one in either spot and not have it be here in the now is a recipe for being frozen, for paralysis, either by fear of repeating some mistake in the past or the fear of the unknown of the future. And I have a direct personal experience with that that I will share with you as the way to kind of tie off this story after our second break here. And as kind of a way to also give you an update, as I do every week now, on where I'm at. So come on back after this break, and we'll tie this off, and you'll see where I'm headed with all of this on this show is all about you. See you in a minute. Kids never have trouble dreaming about their future. The challenge is providing them the resources and opportunities to reach them. This is especially true from historically underserved communities. Fortunately, there's an organization that can help those dreams become reality. Airway Science for Kids helps underserved youth develop life and career pathways through exploration of aviation and aerospace. Using in-person and virtual programs, along with partnerships with companies, educational institutions, community health providers, and other resources, Airway Science for Kids helps students not only find their dream careers, but also learn how to better advocate for themselves and connect more effectively with their families, peers, and communities. To find out more, visit airsci.org. That's A-I-R-S-C-I.org. Or email info at airsci.org. Airway Science for Kids. Providing aerospace for all. Welcome, ever, be, welcome back, everyone. Ooh, I'm so excited to get moving. I'm tripping over myself yet again. Uh, this show is all about you. Today, I'm talking about remembrance. And before the break, I talked a little bit about uh, Holo- International Holocaust Remembrance Day and Astronaut Remembrance Day, both of which were last week. And I mentioned at the top of the show that uh, I also have a very personal period of remembrance uh, that happens in the same time period that I'd like to uh, finish up this show uh, by talking a little bit about as a way then also of talking about where I'm at. And uh, if you go to wordsbyjdk.com, my website, you can go over to the blog post section and you can find a post entitled um, WTF January 27th. (laughs) And uh, January 27th, uh, starting uh, 11 years ago, uh, became a day that for a handful of years following, I came to dread. Uh, it was uh, really, and I talk about it at length in the article, so I don't want to steal that, th- that thunder. Uh, so you can read that on your own. But also in my original origin story podcast that I mentioned last week, Building from the Bullet Hole, I also talk about uh, what happened then. Uh, the details of it don't matter so much. Um, if you know the details of that worst time in my life, it's either because you were there for part of it, uh, or you knew me well enough uh, to be aware of it when it all happened, or uh, have been important enough and or important enough since then for me to share the ins and outs of that. So if you fit into one of those uh, categories, you know who you are. Uh, But what is most important for those of you that are new to this, it was the lowest moment of my life. And it was a whole series of losses and self-inflicted wounds and circumstances that proceeded to change uh, for good the trajectory of my life. Um, Some would say it took a sharp right turn or sharp left turn. Some would say 
Uh, I did a 180. Um, I don't even think that does it justice. I mean, I think it was a wholesale stop and I had to reconstruct from that point. And so what ended up happening was because of the, the historical mindset that I, I tend to approach things with, I remember dates. That's part of just being a historian. Remember dates, what happened on them, uh, that type of thing. Every year following that, that, that crash and burn, as I sometimes have called it, the year, the, the anniversary of this would roll around. And seemingly each year on the 27th of January, something, quote unquote, bad happened. Something that was difficult. And what that meant was at the time was something difficult emotionally. And I began to dread the arrival of the day. I began to fear it. I would start being aware of it around the holidays. And of course, that was a time where I was still struggling with, uh, you know, a depression and things like that leading into the holidays. And so there was just that period of time from about November through the end of January just felt dark. And it was sort of reflected by the weather <laughs> and all those things in places that I lived. And it was really rough. But it got to the point where even a few years down the line, even as I was rebuilding my life step by step and going in new directions, um, I still would face with dread, not only the arrival of this day and quote unquote, what is it going to be this year, but also reflecting back on the past and doing that type of remembrance that I talked about, but in a very negative sense, looking back with, you know, deep regrets, big questions, sometimes a why me, you know, blaming all these types of things on that period. And it was awful. And it did me absolutely no good in the present. And in part, Part of me knew that, that it wasn't doing me any good, but I also couldn't seem to find any other way to be. And there were times where it just felt there was like a fatalism to it, that it is, I'm always going to feel this way, that every year it's going to be like this. And it got to the point where on, I started considering every year just taking January 27th off and literally hiding out from the world. In fact, I think I did it twice. I think I'd, on two, two years in this past 11 years, I think I took days off and just hid from the world. That is not <laughs> the example that I think uh, is best for remembrance uh, and how it can affect things in the present. The reason why I'm telling you this story though, is because uh, there's been a major shift in that for me over the last handful of years. And I, I account it to a lot of things. Yes, certainly my desire to do things differently in my own life and to change the elements of my life that helped bring me to my lowest point, right? To own the mistakes that I made that were many in many different areas and to clean up those messes and make accounts for my past mistakes to the best of my ability. That was part of it. It also was part of having an enormous group of people to support me. There were plenty of people who saw and were around uh, when that implosion happened and a good number of people left my life when that happened. And I understand why a number of people took a wait and see approach, which I also understood why. And there were a significant number who stayed with me. I had a harder time with that <laughs> for a while uh, coming to terms with that because I felt so awful um, and unworthy of that for a long time. But those groups of people all had something to teach me. The ones who left, I had to grieve them and let them go and understand that they were doing what they needed to do for them. The wait and sees, 
I couldn't try to convince them back or to come back or anything like that. The only thing I could do was to rebuild my life and do things differently and leave the door open for them to come back if they wanted to. And then for those who stuck with me, of course, there was accountability in that. I created communities and became more involved in communities that gave me those circles that tended to overlap to give me that accountability. My family was one of them. They rallied to me. Uh, my recovery communities uh, were an important part of my ability to let go of things, to forgive myself, and to move forward. And then increasingly, other communities, uh, sometimes as simple as ones in like my local gym, for example, but also more recently in, as I've been doing all these other endeavors, doing this podcast and trying to write this book, among writers in a larger international community, among uh, business and nonprofit leaders, it's part of my world uh, that I live in, they've provided support, even though they didn't necessarily know my story. Those circles all gave me more and more support and helped show me different ways, different avenues to pursue, different ways to be, different ways of looking at myself, and other avenues for me to pursue to find more healing in the now without sacrificing remembrance of the past. I said earlier in the show that whether we want to believe it or not, our feet um, are right where we are at any given time. Literally, uh, that is true. That is not always the case in terms of our minds. Our minds are often in the past or uh, in the future or wondering about something outside of ourselves. And over the last few years, I've been exploring this uh, even more so. And that's where sort of the, the story for today merges with uh, where am I at today? Because what happened last week as that, um, well, this was funny, this this past Saturday, which was the 28th, not the 27th, I was at my local gym. I go there most days of every any given week. That's an important part for me, physical exercise. And I was sitting on a spin bike just doing a, a ride by myself. Had music going on in my ears, my ear, my earbuds. And uh, I was about 45 minutes into about a 75-minute ride. And somebody called me, and I just, I just ran the call to voicemail, and I saw the date on my phone. And it was January 28th. And I started laughing out loud. Because not only had the 27th, that dreaded day once upon a time, not only had it passed without me being aware of it the day before, but I realized I hadn't thought about it for the entire month of January or before. It simply did not register this year. Last year it did, but it didn't have a real negative effect. I just knew it was there and it kind of passed on and I didn't give it a lot of energy. The year before uh, as well, even though I still had a little bit, but this year there was none. Now you might be wondering where that came from. And I, I, I don't know if that means that just because it, it went by this year without me thinking about it, that it, it'll do the same next year or for now. That would be a story. But one area that I, I do know that has something to do with has to do with something that actually happened on the 26th of last week. I mentioned uh, a week or so ago, I was waiting on uh, to hear on my potential certification to become a human potential coach. It's a form of performance coaching, life coaching uh, that I'd done a 35 week program for leading up to this month. 
and uh, really excited about the opportunity of working with individual clients and applying it in all these different areas of my life, including on the other podcast I'm a part of, Breaking Up With Our BS, uh, with my friend, uh, Tawny Santabria, who's also a human potential coach. That's how I found out about the program. I was waiting to hear on it. Last Thursday, the 26th, I finally received word that I passed my certification tests, and I'm now a certified human potential coach. That was big news. I was very excited about that, very appreciative for the opportunity. And yet, even in the midst of that, it didn't occur to me that this was happening right on the anniversary of the worst part of my life. I was so, once upon a time, dreading the arrival of the 26th, 27th, 28th, 29th, this, this, that, that bubble in which all of the, those events played out uh, 11 years ago. But this time around, it, it just didn't connect to anything. It was just that. That was the day I found out that I got my certification. It didn't occur to me, any of this, until two days later, which is why I was laughing. And for me, I'm excited about all the opportunities that the certification will allow. Uh, I'm as excited about it as I was when I got my PhD, but for very different reasons. Both of which are very dear. Both of these these areas of pursuit are very important to me. There's something about the human potential coaching side of things, though, that really resonates with every part of my being, my brain, my body, my spirit, in ways that history can touch all those areas, but doesn't completely and in an integrated fashion, not to the same degree. So I'm very excited about that. So that's part of it. But as I reflected on this at the end, you know, finishing up my ride on Saturday. And then in the days leading up till now, as I've been reflecting on it and thinking about it in the context of remembrance, uh, I'm, I'm grateful for the fact that uh, in this sense, it wasn't that I had forgotten those things from 11 years ago. It's just I wasn't actively in a position where they needed to be applied in the now. There were enough healing had happened or has happened around that enough new things have happened, enough time has gone by. Um, all the circles that I built have played an important role in giving me new avenues through which to explore new ways of understanding myself. All those things played together that this time around, that's just sort of how it happened. I would certainly not be where I am without what happened back then and all the people and lessons and uh, you know, successes, two steps forward, one step back, sometimes one step forward, two steps back, that the process of rebuilding a life often entails, all those things taken together just led to the result of, of it just going right by me this past year. So in that sense, this year, unlike any other in the last 11, I felt the most unshackled by that past. I also don't feel, though, that despite the fact that I wasn't thinking about it, that I somehow wasn't remembering it or forgot. Because remembrance isn't always something that has to be front of mind. It doesn't have to be something that we connect to every single day in its depth and, and in its, uh, and the depth of its emotion and its feelings. To do that uh, risks us losing ourselves in the emotions um, and the difficulty of that past. We can let something go and be where our feet are without casting aside that story. It just means perhaps that it doesn't shine as brightly upon us on a daily, on a daily basis as perhaps it needs to. Or to take a look at another way, perhaps we develop the ability 
to not be as distracted by it or to turn away from it or to go into another room sometimes. The things in the past are past. And while they're important to remember, the way to honor them is not to be consumed by them. It's to recognize that they have something to show us about ourselves, about today, and about what's possible. They can be really instructive in telling us where we never want to go again, either individually or collectively as a group of people. And that's something that all three of these interconnected stories I've told today all have in common. Those are places we do not want to go again. And we don't need to. And we can be in the present and we can go towards the future remembering what's in the past but not being shackled by it and understanding that other things will happen in the future that we may have to come to terms with again. Mistakes will continue to happen. Bad things will continue to happen. But so will good things. So will accomplishments, discoveries, new wonders, new possibilities. I'm living through a period of that right now that I am supremely grateful for. And I'm able to do it because I'm better than ever before. I'm standing right here. So we remember in a lot of ways to effectively stand right where we are. And that's where I think about as I think about remembrance this week. So hopefully that resonates with you. Perhaps you can reflect on what these things mean for you in your own context. Would love to hear more about it at my website, wordsbyjdk.com. You can reach out to me there or on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you so much for joining me uh, in, on this episode. I hope you found it interesting. I certainly enjoyed talking about it with you. If you missed any of this episode or any others, you can get this wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much for subscribing, leaving me a review, and for sharing it with people you think would find it interesting. This show is all about you. is produced and distributed by Hubbard Radio Seattle. Eric Ryder is my steadfast in-studio producer, editor, and mix master. Thanks, Eric. The show is made possible by the generous sponsorship of Airway Science for Kids. Check them out at airside.org. And the original theme music is by Dave Nelson of Lens Group Media. Special thanks for contributing to this episode and all that went well for me this week has to go to Julia Cannell, Tony and Dave Santabria, Karen Reed, Mark Atkinson, Monica Kakova, Ashley Nebel, Bruce Buller, Justin Park, Isabel Gallegos, Ann Foster, Brittany Johnson, Stacey Heller, Cindy Cameron, Katie Beck, and Eric Crema. Thanks, special thanks to my mom and dad for the Buffalo Wings and other game day food festival yesterday to celebrate my certification. That was fabulous. Thanks to all of you out there who work to keep remembrance of the past alive, the Holocaust, space, whatever it might be, as a way of helping us better see what's here in the present. Your work matters. And thanks, of course, to everyone who has stood by me, helped me, supported me, swift kicked me in the ass, believed in me, and loved me these past 11 years. Any successes I have had include you as a vital component. Thank you. And of course, to you listeners, thank you. I couldn't do this for you without you. And to send you off for the rest of your week, let's end with this original haiku. What we remember tells us as much about now as it does the past. Chins up, everyone.